That's good. I'll ask you to repeat all of that at Christmas time when we're together so everyone in our family can hear it. I had a question for you. What is holding you back from growing in your life? Or let's just put the cookies on the bottom shelf. What is holding you back from true greatness? There's lots of things maybe that go through our minds when we think about the answer to that question. Even if we don't often think about that question, we're living it. Um, Other people sometimes feel like what's holding us back from growth. Maybe it's your current professor who you feel is between you and greatness. Right? Maybe it's just that, oh, the, you know, the people in my life where I didn't have, you know, the, 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 the family that I had hoped to, or there's a relationship in my life that's difficult, or if this person would just do this for me, then I could actually move forward, or I'm trying to grow, but this person and this circumstance keeps cutting in on me. And so sometimes we think people are what's holding us back from actually growing or becoming the people, if we can say this, we feel we were meant to be, the me I want to be, the me I believe I can be the places I'm trying to get to, or perhaps circumstances, right? Things haven't fallen for me in the right places. You know, if I look at other people, the opportunities that they were just gifted, that landed in their lap, or because of the place in the world they were born, or how much was in their parents' bank account when they were born, or what things happened to the heads they were able to turn, or the people that seemed to be in their favor, the opportunities they had, and I haven't had those opportunities, or the one opportunity I'm waiting for just hasn't materialized. That door hasn't opened, and therefore I cannot grow, or I'm stuck, or I can't become the person I'm meant to be. Sometimes it's people, sometimes it's circumstances, or sometimes we think, oh, it's just my own self-discipline. If I was just better at this, if I just worked harder, if I could just overcome, if I could just get past this unhealthy habit or this addiction or this flaw in my character or my ability, if I just like could apply myself a little bit more or take what I know and actually put it into practice, then it's me who's standing in the way of where I want to go. Whatever the circumstances may be, for for you, some of you, maybe the answer is education, and that's why you're here thinking, well, if I can get equipped, if I can get some paper or some letters behind my name or get some more learning, that will move me forward in life. And I think the question we need to sort of rethink in terms of, well, what is it that we're trying to do? What, What is growth actually about? When we turn to the scriptures, what's interesting is that the scriptures use a different word, although at times it uses the word grow, a more, I think, fulsome word. Um, it's interesting, one pastor observed that oftentimes when it comes to churches or, or Christ followers, we have this idea of success in the life of faith is growth. Um, being able to acquire things or, or more spiritual gifts or more aptitude or more application of those things or a broader scope of ministry or ministry opportunities. Perhaps some of us are in that room thinking of that or bigger churches in the world that I live in. If that's, that, that it's growth. And that others would argue, no, 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 it's, it's, it's faithfulness. You know, just staying true, staying loyal, staying on the path, staying who you are no matter what changes, staying at something even if you don't get, quote, success. And as one pastor pointed out, it's actually the biblical idea is actually something more than either of those two things, but it's not a word we use very often. It's this word, fruitfulness. Not simply growth, not simply faithfulness, but actually fruitfulness. 
One of the repeated metaphors, certainly in the Psalms, but in fact, we find this through the teachings in the life of Jesus, for to describe spiritual life is that of a tree. Something that is, if I can say it this way, rooted in a life-giving source. And because of what it is rooted in, then the vitality and the life that grows up within it turns it into a life-giving source. That it becomes life-giving for others. The analogy of a, of a fruit tree is helpful in this way in terms of the roots that grow down. And if the, if, the, if the source, the life, the water, the nutrients, the soil is healthy, that the tree grows up healthy, and then what does it do? It begins to um, mature and therefore is um, shade and shelter for humans and animals. It is um, providing oxygen, life-giving things to the world. And in fact, fruit, right? Things that are useful and nourishing and uh, give vitality to others. This is the picture of spiritual life that we see throughout the scriptures. And so fruitfulness is the goal. And I want to just read for you from a conversation that Jesus had with his disciples where he unpacks a little bit of um, what the goal is and therefore to help us what might be standing in the way, what might be holding us back from a life of greatness or growth defined by fruitfulness. It comes from uh, John chapter 15. And what's interesting, it's not sort of a seven steps to this and that. Jesus didn't write a seven step book. He didn't have an Instagram post 30 days to a shredded spirituality. Okay. This is not what we find actually in the conversation that Jesus has. Listen to what he says. And I'm reading from uh, every version of this uh, text in the various scripture. Pa- I love, I'm just choosing the message one today uh, for our purposes. Jesus says this, I am the real vine and my father is the farmer. He cuts off every branch of me that doesn't bear grapes and every branch that is grape bearing, he prunes back so it will bear even more. You are already pruned back by the message I have spoken. Live in me, make your home in me just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine, You can't bear fruit unless you are joined with me. I am the vine, you are the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relation intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you can't produce a thing. Anyone who separates from me is dead wood, gathered up and thrown on the bonfire. But if you make yourselves at home with me and my words are at home in you, you can be sure that whatever you ask will be listened to and acted upon. This is how my father shows who he is when you produce grapes, when you mature as my disciples. Jesus' first words in this passage to his disciples, I am the vine, are somewhat familiar to us if, you're, uh, if you've read scripture, but for the disciples, it was an important and different phrase. Because in Israel's history, they were referred to as the vine. Israel as the people, Israel as the kingdom. And in a sense, at that time, the earthly kingdom, the questions about whether Jesus was going to restore the kingdom to Israel were, were on their minds and hearts and sometimes coming out of their mouths. And so he, he says, actually, I am the vine. 
So it was a different, immediately their ears would have perked up and said, wait, what do you mean you're the vine? He was turning their attention away from perhaps this earthly kingdom and their ethnic, political, religious identity as the Jewish people towards himself as the source, as the true vine. And, and, and he uses it to jump off with a bit of a metaphor of what life is. And he says there's two ways to live, basically. A life that you will end up dried out, empty, dead, kind of lifeless and useless. Thrown away into the fire. I don't think he's not talking about eternal salvation and damnation and hell and all this stuff. That was, I'm sure I've heard a sermon on that from this passage. He's just saying like there's a disconnection that will happen that will dry you up and make you useless and lifeless. The other is, a, is something that is a vital and alive and continues to bear fruit. He's just saying there's two ways to live and the choice is obvious. But how? So he begins to go on. Three words. Live in me. And, and he's mixing metaphors here in the message version. So he teases that out a little bit more. He says, make your home in me. This is the way to life, to growth, to fruitfulness, is that you would live in me. And make your home in me. Again, strange for them. Because the, the, the home of God, the resting place of God, was the temple. This is where God descended and God chose to meet with them. It was the place of overlap where heaven touched down. And that's, that's how they would have relationship with God. Is ultimately the temple represented that place, that home where God lives. And Jesus says, you make your home in me. As I live in you. It was intensely personal, relational language. As he, as he takes the vine and the, the fruit and the, the branch analogy. And then he mixes it with this home, this remaining, this staying in me. He says, this is how you are going to live in relationship with me in a personal way. And here, as those of us from Protestant slash evangelical backgrounds, we are in trouble. Here's why. Because we say, oh, yeah, 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 personal relationship. I know that. Got that. Maybe there's some of the other traditions, they don't get that, but we get this. That's what Jesus was saying. Make your home with me. This is personal. This is about a relationship with Jesus. I got that. And how do I get that? By believing that he died on the cross for my sins and that I will go to heaven one day. This is the core, we, have, we were told, of what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. Which, unfortunately, that language makes no sense in the context of what he says. And what he continues to talk about. And I think we do have to question ourselves simply because the empirical evidence for many of us who have faith and have the personal relationship with Jesus, if we're honest, we say, yeah, but why do I feel like a dried up twig so often? Why is my life and my spiritual life marked by an emptiness, a dryness, a lack of vitality? And if we can push it even further, why is there not much fruit in my life? Is my life and is the tradition in a sense of people who of faith one where others go, oh, come like a, like a tree. Oh, you're giving me fruit. We are bringing life and vitality to the world. Is that really what's happening? Or why is it that people in droves are leaving the faith said, tried that, didn't work? 
So we actually need to slow down here lest we think we know exactly what Jesus is talking about. And say, what did he mean? And I'll admit, we're in the realm of mystery here always when we deal with the words of Jesus as he begins to describe life with him. But at least it's enough to say, wait a second, if these are the two ways to live and, and experientially, empirically, it seems like we, many of us have for seasons or periods or our whole lives, our faith or everyone we know would say, yeah, they're more like a dried twig than a life-giving source to the world. Okay, so what was Jesus saying? What does spiritual vitality and growth and fruitfulness actually look like? I want to put these two words in front of you as I think that what he was trying to describe, it is a life with him that is marked by intimacy and access. Intimacy and access. Intimacy as in a deep, a vital, relational connection. This is the same conversation where Jesus goes on to say, you are my friends. Right? He is sharing a meal. This is an intimate conversation of foot washing, of teaching, of pledging of love, of promise of faithfulness. This whole conversation is taking place with his inner circle in the upper room around this conversation about intimacy. And so to, to stay with me and me with you was, was describing a kind of intimate relationship in an ongoing way with Jesus where he says disconnected, right? The relationship dies. Intimacy is lost. And access, right? What is the, 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 the vine and the branches? It is both accessing the life of God, but also giving God access to our lives. The intimacy and the connection. And this is where we begin to ask ourselves, is my life with Jesus marked by intimacy, friendship, this ongoing vital relationship? And is my life marked by a vulnerability and authenticity in, in, in access where I am honest with him? When was the last time you were really honest with God in a prayer? It's something that in many ways our worship life and I love praying through a psalm today, Ken, because I think it's, it's reconnecting us to the, to the words that we might not feel authentic enough to write in a song that sounds good on a Sunday morning. But scripture over and over is calling us to a life of honesty and vulnerability with God. When was the last time you were mad with him and expressed it in a prayer? But also, when was the last time you invited him to poke and prod and have access into the decisions and the will and the desires and the emotions of your life? Jesus is describing a kind of relationship with him of intimacy and access. And I think to be blunt, we are not going to grow in our lives with Jesus unless we have a way of cultivating this relationship. Again, you know, people will say to me as a pastor sometimes, can you lose your salvation? That question makes sense if salvation is a, tra a transaction where you say something and God does something and gives that to you and you hold it and then say, can I drop it? Can I break it? Could I give it back because I don't want it anymore? It makes no sense in the context of relationship. It's like saying, can I have a, an intimate uh, uh, friendship with my wife if I don't cultivate intimacy and friendship with her? No. Can, can, I, can I have a closeness to Jesus if I'm not close to Jesus? No. It doesn't make any sense. The whole point is to cultivate, to engage in the relationship with God that allow for intimacy and access to grow in our lives. And here's where the, the practices of our faith begin to matter 
because they, they're not about earning salvation. They're the ways that we actually cultivate intimacy and access with Jesus. And I don't know why, but this was a new discovery for me uh, in recent years. One of the things that Duncan referenced that I think differently about my faith now. I never realized, and maybe I'm the one dummy in the room. I never realized that the spiritual practices in my life were the things that were meant to cultivate intimacy and access with Jesus. I mean, I, I kind of knew they weren't there to save me because everybody kept telling me there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do in your salvation. It's just what God has done for you. And then in the end, it just makes us passive participants in this transaction. No, there are many things to do, but I do them so that I can have access to Jesus and he to me so that we can grow in an ongoing relationship. And Jesus is very clear. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing, right? That's the NIV translation, I think. The message is separated. You can't produce a thing. This is not, oh, God is the magic meal to your life. You know, the thing you squirt in your water that makes water taste better. Like life's okay, but with Jesus, oh man, it's way better. Apart from Jesus, you can't do much, but with Jesus, you can do all things. Write it on your basketball shoe. That's how it works. It's not what he means. What he's saying is, if you disconnect from me, you will dry up. Because the whole point is the vital, dynamic, intimate, and, and accessible relationship of, of faith in an ongoing way. Separated, disconnected, you dry up. Therefore, what? Do the things that cultivate intimacy and access. Again, right? This is the whole analogy with the, 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 the fruit and the trees and, and biotic life. Cultivation matters. As someone once said, we are not park rangers. Park rangers make sure nothing changes, right? We are gardeners, always moving things around to try to find the better soil and the life and the nutrients and the sun just coming in in the right way. It's what we are not only doing in the world with our work, we are doing in our internal lives with God. And so just as uh, we think about the spiritual practices, can I just share with you the things that have begun to change in my thinking as it relates to what these spiritual practices are meant to do? Things like scripture. We read not primarily for information, but for encounter that leads to transformation. An encounter with the living word through the written word. Which means I had to change my practice of reading scripture to just give myself more time to pay attention, to listen as I read. To allow Jesus to begin to speak to me through the written word and then to internalize and to speak back to him. By definition, that takes time. Verse of the day. I mean, some of us are eating crumbs that are barely enough strength for the complexity of life. The, the life that you live is complex. The decisions you have to make are difficult. The world we live in is full of pain and difficulty and complexity. And little crumbs here and there, verse of the day, is no match for the difficulty and challenge of your life. What does it mean to eat whole meals, to linger in God's presence through the word, to read it and let it read us? My spiritual director, a little while ago, we were talking about a pastor. He said, hey, I don't normally come in with sort of an idea to start with for you, but I feel like you're meant to read this passage, John chapter 4. I said, okay. He said, so read it for the next month. I said, I can read it right now in five minutes. 
That's not the point. He said, read it and reread it and reread it until it begins. And I can tell you that passage had, a, had made a monumental shift in my life in the last six years. Just that one passage. More than much of the other scripture I had read, maybe up to that point, not because of scripture's problem, but the way that I was consuming it, <laughs> reading it. So what does it mean to read for intimacy and access and transformation? It means time. It means we read and we listen and we reread. Prayer. Eugene Peterson famously said, prayer is answering speech. It is the language we use to respond to God, which means we first listen. The first act of prayer is to listen. We, and, and when Jesus says, don't babble as the pagans do, part of what he's getting at is not just think about your words, but don't just speak. I've been reading in Proverbs lately, so much of the, of the foolishness of human beings is described as too many words. When we come into prayer, are we coming in in silence and solitude? And that's another spiritual practice that I have found to, to become like dynamite, like setting my prayer life on fire as I sit in silence and say nothing. We practice this in our church and we start with baby steps with two minutes and then five minutes. And I say to people I know for me, like an extrovert, a verbal processor, five minutes feels like an eternity when you begin. I'm now stretched out to 30 minutes. One time in one of our courses here, spent five hours. I cheated because I napped for about an hour of that, but I didn't tell David Sherbino. So you don't need to discuss that here. I think it's on the internet now, but just time and space to sit. And what happens when you sit in silence? You realize how noisy your thoughts are. Oh, the chaos and the clutter and the lust and the distractions and the vain ideas of glory and the petty obsessions with little things that begin, I become to wear. Were they just there because I got in silence? I'm like, Jesus, why are you planting these thoughts in my head? No, they were always there. I was unaware. So how is Jesus going to talk to me about my inner life until I become aware of that inner life? And then I say, Lord, why is this thing getting at me so much? Why am I obsessing about that one line that I read in that email today? Or why did that text blow up my day? And I, I, didn't, I didn't even know it until I stopped. The spiritual practices are opening doors and creating space for Jesus to come and to have access to my inner life, to begin to probe. And it begins with me becoming aware of it. Silence, solitude, without interruptions, without worship music blaring in the headphones throughout. Just actual space and time to stop and slow down. Sabbath. Not just, not a day off, but rest. The rhythm of rest. God, we don't see God, the weekend warrior in Genesis 1, like doing a bunch of stuff and like, man, five o'clock, can't wait. Let's call up some buddies. We're going to smash it this weekend. Come back into Monday. Whoa, I'm so tired from the weekend. Our, our weekends are like that. Our vacations are like that. It's not Sabbath. We are not rested coming out of those things. So what does it take, to, in my experience, to tinker and try and fail and try again to construct a life rhythm? I remember talking to my spiritual director about a sabbatical I was thinking of taking in a few years, and he says, before you even entertain that idea, what is your weekly rhythm of rest? If you don't know how to do it on a weekly basis, a sabbatical is not going to fix anything, and neither will a three-week vacation. What is our rhythm of rest in the middle of busy, chaotic, demanding lives? The rhythm of the life of Jesus Dallas Willard famously said, you know, Jesus never expected us, I'm paraphrasing, to just simply display his power and his character in the moment without adopting his actual way of life and the rhythms of retreat and rest 
and Sabbath. My advice to you with these things is you can't fix everything. And so here's just a couple of questions as the band's going to come up and lead us in a song of response. Which of these practices in your life needs to be changed to make it more about intimacy and access? Like you may be doing them, you may be engaging them, your life and your rhythms may be well, maybe a well-oiled machine and all very good, but what is dry? What is empty? What is drying you up? What is not giving life? What would you say, yeah, I read, but it's dead. How do I reread? How do I re-engage? What is the spiritual practice I need to start again and say, Jesus, fill this with your presence and your love and your access? Or perhaps which of these practices needs to be added to your life to get closer to Jesus and allow him more? Jesus, we recognize that the gift of life with you is not easily apprehended. We thank you for conversations like this that you had with your closest friends. We remember in this moment that we are your friends, that we are people who have been called into relationship with you. And so lead us in the ways that lead to life. In your name we pray, amen.